Okay, PHEVs are not the answer. <laughs> it's the great PHEV debate. Perfect electric car option or EV dead end. Best of both worlds or a waste of time and money? <laughs> Welcome. I'm Cars Guide Editor, Deputy, uh, Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me on the Cars Guide podcast panel for this electrifying automotive cage fight, our Managing Editor, Head of Video, Matt Campbell. G'day. As well as our EV Guide lead, Tom White. Hello. We'll also cover off this weekend news and take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving in cars in the garage. And we're on standby to respond to your feedback in the YouTube live stream. So stay with us. I've written a news story weighing up the worth of plug-in hybrid vehicles and its development generated a bit of heat in the office. So we're seeing, um, you know, one side of the argument is plug-in hybrids, best of both worlds with enough battery power to allow meaningful zero emissions driving around town, an extended road trip range with easy rapid refueling courtesy of a fuel tank and combustion engine. Um, but there are some downsides. And Matt Campbell, let's get to you. Um, I, 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 I sense you have a, a different view of things. Well, partly, yes. Um, I, they are both compromised and uh, amazing in both that they can be really, really smart vehicles in that if you can find a, uh, enough battery driving range emissions and zero emissions if you've got solar as well, um, and you can do, say, 80, 85 kilometres of electric driving before you need to call on the petrol engine uh, or diesel engine. There's not many diesels, though. Um, it seems like a really, really smart idea. But if you consider the counterpoint to that being, well, if you just bought a regular hybrid car, using less fuel because you're not lugging around batteries, electric motors, and all the extra weight that comes with it, which can impact the practicality of the car as well. Um, and I think the honestly, the biggest issue with PHEV, plug-in hybrid electric vehicles in Australia, is price. Uh, if you are looking at the equivalent plug-in hybrid version of an Outlander or a Ford Escape, um, you're looking at $15,000 or so. And for a lot of people, $15,000 is not justifiable to be able to draw electric only some of the time. Well, I mean, Tom... Tom, we, we can get to the price equation and we've got some relativities. Actually, funny you mentioned the Outlander, Matt, because I've got some back-to-back -back kind of stuff on Outlander and Outlander Fev. What do you make of that? It seems like it's a long time to amortise any, any kind of extra cost at point of purchase um, and savings on in terms of fuel. I think... The cynic would say that uh, plug-in hybrids are a really convenient solution uh, in markets where there are requirements to get emissions down. So, uh, and they've served that purpose absolutely uh, in Europe, where they're plentiful because they help bring fleet uh, emissions targets down for a lot of business buyers as well. Um, so there is a bit of a cynical argument you could have in there because they do genuinely bring, like if you use a plug-in hybrid properly, they can genuinely bring your fuel consumption down to very minimal levels. Yep. Um, 
as an example, I, I've just handed back the keys for uh, a Kia Nero uh, plug-in hybrid, and that uh, is now discontinued. There, there is no plug-in hybrid version of the new one in Australia. Um, but there was one month there where uh, using both the electric and the combustion functions, I, I uh, achieved the stated uh, fuel consumption of 2.1 litres to 100 kilometres, which is pretty damn impressive uh, for a little car like that and and totally achievable uh, there, as well there if, was if you're a, using it as intended. There wasn't any relationship between you handing the car back and it being discontinued in this market. Was, this? <laughs> was that sort of a causal relationship? I don't think I was that hard on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it does speak to the fact that uh, if Kia Australia, um, you know, a brand that is pushing the boundaries with uh, new energy vehicles, uh, it's got a plug-in hybrid Sorento, for example. It had a plug-in hybrid Nero, um, and it's got the EV6 electric car and Nero as well, EV. So yep. if a brand like it can't justify a smaller uh, plug-in hybrid vehicle, um, and it stands to reason that it's a difficult argument to have for Australian customers as well, because I think the 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 real thing is that it's it's a more affordable car, but the step up in price doesn't make it affordable anymore. Well, um, and so you know if if you've yeah what, what no sorry go ahead <laughs> go ahead uh, if you if you are splitting the difference between petrol and full electric or hybrid and full electric, then yeah, maybe it makes sense. But if you're, if you're ultimately very, very close to an electric car price, uh, as the case would have been with the next generation Kia Nero Fev to the EV, yeah. um, it just doesn't make sense for, as a business case or for a customer. Well, uh, Matt, you've got someone on your side of the fence here with um, Kenneth Hollibone saying, I just don't see the value in EV and Fev at the moment based on price proposition. The... The other thing it brings in is, I suppose, charging. You know, to, to make best use of it, you've got to have access to either some nearby out-of-home charging or um, overnight charging, getting into that routine, putting in a wall box type char charger, all of that adds complexity to the ownership proposition, I suppose. I think yeah. there's another argument to be made there that, Look, I mean, my takeaway generally from driving uh, plug-in hybrids is you, you have to have a plug in your garage if you want them to make sense. Like if you can drive out of your garage every morning with a genuine 60 to 80 kilometer electric range, fantastic. If you don't have a plug in your garage or you're forced to park on the street or something, yeah. I don't think they make sense for a lot of people because you have to charge them up at a public charger. Yeah. And unlike an EV, like a full EV, generally you'll get uh, quite a fast AC charger where you're plugging up at those you know public locations, you're, you're shopping centers what have you um, and you might get a decent range from that in an ev because those uh, ac inverters are quite powerful because it comes with the cost of the car uh, yep. whereas in a plug-in hybrid you know th there's always this kind of element of trying to get the cost down to get people into them and so their ac inverters tend to be quite slow so it's much harder to charge up most plug-in hybrids at a session at the shops because they're not much faster than just plugging them into the wall generally <laughs> that's right that's right that's such a good point yeah. and i suppose it's easier where in urban areas, charging infrastructure is accelerating. You know, the installation of chargers here, there, and everywhere um, is is happening at a pretty rapid rate. If you're outside, if you're in a rural or regional um, area, you're not exactly feeling love at this point in terms of that kind of infrastructure. You probably do have to put something into your garage or somewhere in your house to be able to charge the car. And if you're doing okay, a couple of hundred kilometers in a day 
you're going to get a certain amount of EV running. Uh, the vast majority of, of fair vehicles have the ability to charge the battery on the fly, as it were, but you are still going to end up using the petrol engine for a lot of the time when you're out on the road. And I'm right in saying that, yeah? Yeah, 100%. And like for us, for <clears throat> instance, years ago, I ran a, a Mitsubishi VHEV, first generation one, and required the installation of a 15 amp plug. To give you an idea, that just means that the bottom prong on the plug is just a bit bigger. Um, and it made it charge just a little bit quicker than a normal plug would. Um, but, you know, it was fine. And I would get 55 to 60 kilometers of EV range out of that. I live 65 to 70 kilometers away from where I'm going uh, to the office, for example, or to the city or whatever. Um, and that means that one way was electric, the other way was petrol. So I was yeah. always still using six liters per hundred Ks as well as plugging it in and charging myself money to yes. keep the thing electrified. So um, for a lot of people, it's not going to work depending on where you live. And I think JC, you make a really good point. It's where you live that dictates whether this car or these types of cars will be suitable for you. Because if you are 40 kilometers from the city or yep. 30 kilometers from the city and you have to travel to work or if you if you're 30 k's from wherever you need to go to work or to school or whatever yep. then this sort of car could be perfect if you yep. set up the charging in your house and this is i think this is the problem there's so many ifs that it makes it a really <laughs> yeah. strong and, and and difficult case to have uh, for majority of buyers well, I mean, what are we talking? When you've got a Mitsubishi Outlander PHEV, I think your range is somewhere in the, it's one of the upper ones. Oh, oh here we go. Yeah. Ford Escape Fev, 56 kilometers. Um, and then the Outlander Fev, yeah, 84. Yeah. So in terms of urban dwellers, brilliant. You know, you, you're yeah. probably worried about your fuel going stale um, mm -hmm. rather than uh, whether or not the engine's going to burst into life. But um, yes, if you're on the, on the highway all day it's not going to be it's not going to add up in the same way and by the way while we've been chatting our old mate uh planes trains and dogs and cars confirmed that it pays to be cynical in 2022 so that's uh that's nice <laughs> i think he's on board with that and he also says try and get a charge at the shops and wait for a busy charger is too stressful if you can't do that at home and charger etiquette yep. is very much an issue as well isn't it you know the whole oh i'll put it on the charger and go mm -hmm. and get a cup cup of coffee forgetting hitting the shops and coming back forever after and uh, people are waiting to use the charger yeah i think it's gonna like yeah. be an area of future regulation right like people are actually gonna have to start thinking about this and and other stuff like who do like which cars get priority when we pull up at a charger right so yes. you know if you've got like a 350 kilowatt charger and a 50 kilowatt charger next to it and someone shows up in a nissan leaf and plugs into the 350 kilowatt charger when and then you pull up five minutes later in an ionic five and you're just grinding your teeth thinking why didn't you just plug into the 50 yeah, kilowatt that's it's all you can use too. you know that's true too yeah yeah i mean it's interesting richard berry said it a couple of podcasts ago we're we're living as motoring journos we're living in 2024 we're we're a couple of years ahead in the sense that we're getting pretty strong exposure to electricity electrified vehicles now um, and it's only now that people are thinking about maybe my next car or or even the one after that you know might yeah. be electrified but these issues are coming up because we're driving electric vehicles all the time 
Yeah. And to that point, JC, I think that we are overexposed generally to, like you say, to an electrified uh, car market. Um, in reality, sales are pretty small still of um, electrified cars, whether whether they're full-scale hybrids. I mean, Toyota dominates that part of the market, but um, plug-in hybrids are, are minuscule in Australia because, yeah. uh, um, you know, there aren't that many around until you start looking. In, and you'll see in James's written piece that there are quite a few around around if you start looking it's just yep. a matter of um being open to the options that are available to you and also being able to afford them as i keep saying but i do want to also say that um I, I was reading up on this a little bit before about um europe and the market in europe with plug-in hybrids they are tanking over there because they've a lot of the incentives for plug-in hybrids have been pulled away which mm. i think is actually going to lead to an a, an event in australia where we become a bit of a Around uh, for plug-in hybrid cars because wow. uh, the the market there is dictating that if you want subsidies, you've got to get full electric cars, and that's where your emissions need to be anyway. So all the laws are suggesting that plug-in hybrids are, are dead. They're dead in the water, like wow. regular hybrids, like regular engine cars. That's so, it. We're a we're a fair backwater. We, we're a fair backwater already. <laughs> yeah. And, and and this is, I mean, it's great for Australian consumers because it means that they'll be able to potentially get uh, more affordable plug-in hybrid vehicles from those European brands that they might want to be able to buy a plug-in hybrid from. Yes. Well, I mean, just for a sec, let's go there and look at the comparative, you know, a like-for-like -like comparison in terms of how much fuel you might save with a FEV. And courtesy of uh, our own Richard Berry having spent some time long-term with a petrol um, combustion engine outlander, and then more recently having experienced the, the plug-in, the latest plug-in hybrid uh, version, um, the official combined cycle number for the FEV is 1.5 litres uh, per 100 kilometres. Um, but in pure city driving, he saw 0.7 of a litre per hundred kilometers. And yeah. he specifically went out on uh, a combination of country roads, motorways, went up to 110 kilometers an hour. It wasn't many Ks, but it was still at two liters per hundred. Then over a, a longer range was about five. The petrol one, the official figures 8.1. Um, he generally, his lowest average for a month was 10.2 and he saw as much as 15.2. So it's clear mm. that in the right circumstance, there are some, some like substantial savings uh, to be made but how long would it take um, I, think you know, I think the thought you've got to have how yeah. long would it take to break even with you know the combustion car so i've invested so much more in my plug-in hybrid how many years am i looking at before i'm actually breaking even on the fuel cost yeah you know i'd say it's going to be a very long time i think and then fear, you also leader mal did that didn't he He came out to 15 years or something I'm yeah wondering. anyway and yeah sorry you also you also have to factor in the resale considerations as well because if no one wants them now no one's going to want them in 10 years time either so yep. um there's you, you won't be getting as much money back as if you had maybe bought a, a full hybrid or uh, an EV. Um, yep. And if you if you do consider those numbers, JC, you know, 1.5 litres per 100 kilometres, that's for the first 100 Ks. It is. Uh, for every 100 Ks after that, you, you cannot get that figure because you will always be using the petrol engine. Well, you've depleted um, and also, your 80, 80 say, kilometres of EV range, haven't you? If, yes, yeah, in that if, first 100. Absolutely. If you are using 84 kilometres 
of EV range, that means you're using about an average of 10 litres per 100 kilometres to do the remaining 16 Ks, which is inefficient when you think about it. Uh, And I like... I like to think about these things because, A, uh, I think that the fuel figure numbers that we see on the stickers on the windscreens of cars are utter nonsense. Uh, And B, people don't think about 100 kilometres. They think, well, you know, a tank of fuel. How much does it cost to fill the tank? How how many Ks am I going to get out of a tank? And people are still thinking that way. They're not thinking per 100 kilometres. Correct. So. It's interesting also, we've had a comment uh, in real time. Lars Dane says, you know, it's a broader EV question, I suppose. Are we ready for EVs? You know, is the grid ready to cope with uh, mass adoption um, of electric vehicles with uh, thousands of people putting in wall boxes at home and, and charge points going in all over the place? And it's true. I mean, um, what does he say? You know, we have blackouts uh, in summer when people are using their air conditioners add a whole new fleet of EV vehicles to that, and you've got a real concern. There are a few concerns around that, but I think it's uh, also worth remembering that, you you know, you're charging an EV up overnight. And so generally, you know, that's what most owners are doing. And that's when power is at its cheapest and most available. Mm. So uh, there's an element of kind of smoothing out the demand in the grid using an EV. And there are EVs that are actually able to, you know, power your home uh, coming online now very slowly in Australia, waiting for regulations and such. So I, th- I think there's a bit of a changing of the dy- like power dynamic in Australia in that way. Like, yeah. um, you know, how power is generated, how it's stored now that everyone's got, you know, 50 kilowatt hours of batteries just sitting in their garage. I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with that. Would it, would it be true to say, Tom, that that vehicle to whatever the acronym is, but, you know, vehicle to your house supply is more relevant when it's full EVs, where they've got the big, you know, big bopper batteries rather than a FEV, which is sort of a halfway house uh, in terms of its battery size? I think so. But I think it's also worth remembering that a lot of the newer plug-in hybrid vehicles like the Outlander that are coming out actually have like really large batteries like we're talking sort of 15 kilowatt hours to 18 kilowatt hours like that's a big battery and i think i was reading somewhere before that you only need about that much to power a home for a full day um so you know that's something worth considering as well you know like um it it comes with other knock-on benefits yeah well i mean we're running up against it in terms of time but suffice it to say as as you mentioned matt we've got around 20 FEV models that are currently in market. We've got more coming, Jeep, Grand Cherokees and Mazdas and Range Rovers and VWs and a whole bunch more. Um, So they're coming, um, but I suppose you have to be, what are you doing? You've got to be really sensible and selective about whether or not it's going to suit, not just your circumstance, but whether you're going to be disciplined enough um, to recharge this thing all the time uh, yeah. to get the benefit. I suppose ultimately an inductive charge loop where you just drive into your garage and as soon as you're parked, it starts to charge. That's a bit of a game changer, but um, we're not exactly seeing that just yet. The physical act of having to do something, we're so lazy um, that you're more likely to just drive it on petrol and carry that battery and motor around. So yeah, yeah. What, what our conclusion is, just be sensible about whether or not it's right for you, yeah? And it's probably yeah. not for people in, in rural areas, but uh, city, yes, if you if you get into the charging habit. I think the takeaway is you really have to be an enthusiast. You have to know exactly what you're getting into and exactly how to use it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. Let's leave it there. It's been good to get the, uh, the chat in real time as well. So 
Now we are going to move to the news desk. Brilliant. Okay, so here we are going to give you uh, this week in news. It's a taste of three of the stories that have been uh, pretty much clicking up a storm through the week. And Matt, this is one that's been coming for a while, but finally some confirmation around a particular Toyota product. Yeah, uh, it's not the Hilux. It's not the GR Hilux we're talking about this time around. And we're talking about the Tundra, the next size up version of Toyota's Ute. So this is their uh, American-focused pickup truck. Rivals the likes of the heavy Silverado to name two. Um, obviously, the 50 is another, and we are going to see F150 uh, sold through Ford dealerships in 2023. And it looks like there's a very good chance the uh, the, the Tundra will be on sale from 2023 as well, late in the year. So um, Toyota is going to be working with Walkinshaw Automotive Group. So Walkinshaw is the real beneficiary here. They already work on a bunch of different different units uh, to convert them to right-hand drive. Um, and yeah, this uh, the new Tundra ute, which uh, amazingly is a V6 petrol hybrid turbo ute. So unlike those other utes with the big beefy V8 engines, uh, this one is a pretty punchy thing, 286 kilowatts and 650 newton meters for a, a dual cub ute that's um, pretty big. It's a pretty big vehicle. Um, so it, it is going to uh, definitely have a market in Australia. There will be buyers out there who are just drawn to it because it's a Toyota um, and also the inherent reliability that is known from coming from that brand. So really looking forward to it. I can't wait to have a drive of one at some point. I'm, I'm looking forward to the Compara. I mean, yeah. it's going to be a it's going to be a Ram 1500, an F150, uh, uh, the whole, it's, yeah, it's, it's on. Yeah, and it's going to be good. Okay, so all the uh, details are in that story on the site. Sorry, Tom. Hybrid yeah. power as well, which is kind of exciting. Amazing. Yeah. Kind of yeah. relevant to what we've been talking about. Yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> so Tom, different proposition altogether, but we're still in the kind of electric realm. Uh, fill us in on this other story that's been uh, clicking pretty strongly during the week. Okay, so we've got a, a, a story that's got a bit of a cheeky headline that say that says uh, has has BYD buggered up, and and basically uh, this is probably one of the most hyped launches left this year because we've had Tesla Model Y now, you know, so like all these kind of hyped cars that have, have come. We got uh, Corolla Cross still to come, but BYD are launching with what is going to be in some states the cheapest electric car you can buy, the the Atto 3. And so it's a little SUV. It's fully electric. It comes from China's BYD. They're a new automaker to our market. And people have been very keen to get their hands on this. And it already has like this enthusiast cult following. Uh, the issue is up until this point, they've been promising things like a seven-year warranty and uh, you know the benefits of EV ownership. But now it's been revealed that they're um, actually just going to have a a six-year, 160,000-kilometer warranty, which is much less than was originally promised. Um, And the service pricing is the biggest surprise because uh, it's actually remarkably expensive, like combustion car expensive, Uh, not just comparative, but also in terms of the timing. So you need to service the car every 12 months or 20,000 Ks, which is the same as a combustion car. And at that point, you're being hit for amounts between $190 and uh, $661. Um, so, you know, pretty, pretty steep pricing. And I think it, it kind of reveals a little bit of an issue 
issue with electric cars sort of launching in our market. And that's, you know, uh, some of these kind of revenue streams have been taken away from manufacturers uh, as they move to the electric environment, you know, less servicing uh, is actually required and, uh, you know, stuff like this. So how, you know, how do they recoup that? And uh, obviously it's kind of hidden in the fine print. So that's what we're seeing here. Yeah. Oh, and right. also, so, sorry, can I just say, um, B- BYD, uh, be sure to check out our Addo 3 review, which is now live on our YouTube channel and on the website, uh, with all those pricing details in the written piece uh, that Richard's put together, um, and some surprise findings in the driving section. Absolutely. So be be sure to check it out. And he's yes, very Tom. jealous that Richard has had a chance to drive it. <laughs> That's good on the servicing cost. Like planes, trains, and dogs and cars said, it pays to be cynical in 2022. <laughs> if they're scraping back a bit of extra wholesale margin on things. Okay. Um, now, the other one uh, I'll cover off is the prospect of an Audi ute. And when you think about it, there are two things that jump into my mind. I don't know about you guys, but didn't Mercedes-Benz try that? And it was a spectacular <laughs> failure. And second, where where does that come from? And then you go, of course, Amarok, you know, and it's potentially the same platform as the shared Ranger and Amarok projects. And reports are that it will be underpinned by that same platform. So you get that off-road cred and you get the, the towing ability. Um, and that those people inside Ford that we've spoken to at length through the launch of that car have always said that it's ready and ripe for electrification. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the thing has been made to accept that as a future-proofing kind of uh, move, if you like. So, woof, you know, the numbers for X-Class Mercedes-Benz were really small. Mercedes, in a rare misstep, um, acknowledged it, owned it, pulled the car out of the market. Um, they sold globally far less Hiluxes than Toyota sells just in Australia mm-hmm. um, per year. So... Audi would be taking uh, two or three brave pills to to think that they can make it work. Will it be a fully electric uh, truck? It's probably going to have an electric version as well as combustion and hybrid and and whatever else. So watch this space. And if you want all the details, that story is on the website. I actually have a loaded opinion on this. I, I, I think I think that it has to it has to do something spectacular to succeed because I think X Class would have succeeded if they launched with the V6. Just saying. Okay. 100%. I'm with you. Mind you, I still see X classes in traffic and think that they're a Navara. And and they're worth more now than they were when they came out because people are after something different now. All right. Well, let's go to what people are after, and that is cars in the garage. Okay, okay. The uh, the fresh metal that we have been uh, driving and Tom, I'd like to start with you. It's in your wheelhouse. Fill us in on what you've been steering, please. Okay, so I mentioned before that I've been driving the plug-in hybrid uh, Kia Niro up until recently, and I've just swapped it for the new generation version, which is uh, fully electric because there is no plug-in hybrid anymore, as we know. Yes. Um, Thanks and, to you. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I, I've, I've got behind the wheel of that, and there are a lot of really surprising things about it. it, it it's it's uh, quite different from the Niro that came before it uh, in that it feels much more futuristic. It's had a big jump because the Nero, the previous Nero was feeling quite old by the time they discontinued it. And this new one is 
packed full of the same sort of parts and technology that you see in the Kia EV6. It's the point where I was sort of driving it the other day. I thought, well, this is just like a, a mini EV6. I'm not really sure why it's not called like the EV2 or EV3 or something. Like mm-hmm. it's so similar. And I know, uh, you know, K- K- we know Kira and he and I want to launch smaller models in that space with those sorts of names. So I'm surprised that they haven't. And it'll be interesting to see where it sits in that kind of future portfolio. But where it sits right now, it it sort of have, has the same power and, and torque as it did before. So same motor, uh, same battery size, but it does extract a little bit more range. It's a little bit bigger than it was before. It's a lot more uh, sort of technologically advanced than it was before in terms of its cabin uh, tech offering. Uh, it has a, a lot more standard features than it has before, but it's also jumped in price. It's uh, before on-roads price tag is now 72100 which is uh, pretty steep. Um, yeah, but it it, 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 it feels it feels techy and, and, and it does genuinely get quite a long range. Um, as we know, those kind of uh, Hyundai and Kia uh, electric cars do tend to actually uh, underestimate their own range. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what I get when I actually run it out of range because I've had it for two weeks and I've only used about half a charge. Uh, right. To, well, you've got access to Uber. So, you know, if you do actually... <laughs> Just run out completely. That won't be a problem. That's cool. That's good. Thank you. And we'll we'll stay tuned for, for more detail. Matt, I'm going to move to you. And you've been driving something. Uh, it's, it's Japanese. Yep. It's more on the premium end of the scale. Fill us in, please. Surprisingly very closely priced to uh, Tom's Kia Nero. Wow. I've been driving the Lexus UX 300e. Um, so if you aren't aware, and you probably aren't because they don't sell many of them, uh, the UX300e is Lexus's small electric SUV. Um, and I've been spending, well, about three weeks with this car. Um, it was a gap filler for me uh, after my last long-term car. And I, I've really liked it. I, and, and my partner, Gemma, she's actually driven it a bit more than I have. Um, she loved it. She thought it was great because it, it had enough electric driving range for her to go to uh, the city and back and not even think about a charge. Uh, And she did it twice in a row one time because I forgot to plug it in at night. Uh, And it ended up that she came home and had five kilometers of range remaining, but she was like, I got home. I'm okay. I don't care. So uh, it just meant that I had to duck down to uh, the fast charger because it wouldn't have replenished the batteries on uh, the regular plug overnight. so yeah, uh, speaking of charging, it's got a, a Type 2 plug, but not a Type 2 CCS combination fast charger. So it'll do a, a slow AC charge, but not a fast DC charge. Um, and it's that's on one side of the car. And on the other side, it's got Chadamo, um, the Japanese standard plug. Right. Um, so it'll charge it up to uh, 50 kilowatts, I think, or thereabouts. Wow, yeah. Um, so not super fast, but fast enough to get you from zero to full or zero to 80% in about two hours um, from right. a, a Chatamo charger. So um, luckily, the place down the road from me does have a Chatamo charger. So I managed to do that while I was sitting there one Friday night watching the footy and having an ice cream from the servo, because yes. that's what you do now at charge stations, apparently. <laughs> so um, right. but by the by, the uh, UX300E... Um, underappreciated car i think it's a really good size for a lot of people um and you know seventy four thousand dollars or thereabouts for the base model um makes it fairly compelling compared to something like a kia nero ev gt line um 
if you are okay with it being maybe a bit more conservative and having a bit less range, it's like 305Ks uh, claimed range. Matt, Matt, so rare for a rugby league enthusiast to be consuming an ice cream rather than some delicious carbonated beverage that uh, would normally... <laughs> go with that kind of activity anyway i didn't have any uh any of the cola that i like <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was thinking elsewhere but anyway and then uh, for the record uh on, on the range there i think that's that is one of the drawbacks of that ux uh because mm -hmm. the the nero will do 460 and i think i'm going to get more than that on a single charge so yeah, um yeah. that's worth keeping in mind along with that chatamo port which might be an inconvenience for some beauty Good. All right. Thank you for that, Matt. Thanks, Tom. I'll finish off. Everybody's had their say on the Ranger. I'm going to have my two bobs. Um, been in the Ranger XLT, and that's 64, just over 64 grand before you put it on the road. It's the three litre V6 turbo diesel that I was in. 184 kilowatts, 600 newton meters. So you get that full time all wheel drive, uh, on demand four wheel drive. Um, the, and the 10 speed auto and the plus is that engine is great um i i now understand that it's its ancestry goes back to territory and and uh quite away but it just works so beautifully with the 10 speed auto uh great ride for a dual cab ute you know it's got a long wheelbase so um it tends to even things out a little bit it's quiet without the audio on i heard those little turbo whistle every now and then that's about all you hear from under the bonnet yeah. Um, the multimedia is really good. Uh, it's well equipped in XLT grade, which is kind of middle of the of the ladder, if you like. Um, the minus is, I reckon, you've got to wait six months for one. We we mm -hmm. had some recent uh, feedback from fearless leader uh, Mal, who said a, a neighbour of his had ordered a Ranger, and it was about six months. I'm, I suppose that's going to vary by grade, mm -hmm. um, but that's roughly what you're looking at. Um, I'd go for a cargo divider and hard tonneau because I think it's a real multi-role proposition. That kind of car could be for work, play, family, uh, the whole bit. I reckon it's got the credentials to fulfill that kind of um, multi-role. Yeah, I agree, JC. And I'll just like to add about uh, the fact that it's quiet is such a huge step forward compared to the yep. last Ranger because it was bloody loud inside. Yeah. This one is really refined. So Super refined. And we had we were five up. Um, the, the whole family got on board and we went on a lengthy trip. No complaints, ventilation in the back, you know, all that kind of stuff. Cool. Uh, plenty of power options. It was really, really good. Nice. So um, there you go. And with that, we have reached the finish line. Cool. So thanks to all our listeners and viewers. And thank you, Matt. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And well done to our production multitasker, Mr. Brett Sullivan. He clearly knows how to have fun in a vehicle under controlled conditions because today he's wearing a T-shirt saying, let's get drunk and drive the golf cart. <laughs> um <laughs> Jump wow. into the conversation. Cars Guide is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and LinkedIn, or traditionalists can email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number. Um, we're sitting at 4.7, so come on, help us out. And viewers, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, come... Mate of mine was telling me about when he was living in Germany and holding and talking on your mobile phone while driving was banned. Um, he went to an electronic shop looking for something that would help him answer his calls legally and keep his focus on driving. Old mate behind the counter offered to have his brother Hans ride with him and put the phone up to his ear when it rang. <laughs> it was some time ago, but my mate said, no, 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 that won't work. Do you have a hands-free device? Oh, gosh.
<laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs>